Well, good evening and good morning, EPL State of Mind listeners. Welcome to our first episode of the new year, a year that's already kicked off with a whirlwind of football drama, especially for Arsenal fans like myself. I'm your host, James, and alongside me is Kyle and Sean, all back together for the first time. What a time to start in the new year to catch you up to speed on all of the latest happenings from the best football league in the world. Well, happy New Year's, gents. Sean, I know I was with you celebrating the ball drop. We got you up past midnight for the first time in 28 years, which was nice to see you <laughs> to last. And Kyle, I know you were celebrating with your fam as well. So welcome back and happy New Year's, gents. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be back. Uh, celebrating with the fam, more like food poisoning. But um, that's no problem. <laughs> oh, no. I almost made it to midnight, got to around 10, 15, which is close enough in my book. But yeah, <laughs> real excited for the year, excited to be back. Excited, Man City's getting back on track. It's, it's going to be a good year, guys. Yeah, I know it's. Uh, you're not supposed to consume all of the bottles of champagne at once, Kyle, but we'll work on that for next year. Well, gents, it's a new year, but it feels like some of the same old feelings for the English Premier League. And, of course, the same thing that typically comes around right around now is the AFCON and Asian Cup when it comes around. So to start off with our hot news, the first bit of 2024 is the fact that the English Premier League teams will be losing a significant amount of players, and for some, relatively key players at that. So to, to note some notable departures over the next month, which will go from January 13th, group stage ends January 25th, and the finals are you know being played in February 10th for the Asia Cup and February 11th for AFCON. But some players that we will miss altogether, whether you're a fan of the team or not, will be, of course, the number one guy, Mo Salah, Huming Sun, Pap Sar, who's possible with an injury anyway, so might not make it. Uh, Yves Basuma, Andre Onana, Mohamed Kudas, Yoan Wissa, Nicholas Jackson. Not really a big miss there, but I'm sure some people <laughs> will counteract that. Jordan Ayu from Crystal Palace, Alex Awobi, Fulham, and He Chan Wang from Wolves. So, other than that, Nottingham Forest, who seem to have half of the the Ivory Coast team on their squad is affected the most with volume of departures, and that would be six all going to AFCON, which is two more than the next closest team, Brentford, who has four. And then I think unanimously, this is your take on this, Sean, but I think we all agree that the team that is affected the most in terms of quality going away and the depth that they currently have on their team, not to be a close second to uh, Liverpool, in my opinion, but would be Tottenham Hotspur. They lose their captain and top goal scorer in Sun, as well as two starters in the midfielder at Papsar and Basuma. And if you guys remember, James Madison is also currently still injured. So that's essentially their entirety of the center of their pitch. I think we'll start seeing Hoiberg back in the middle, which I'm sure all the Spurs fans are excited about. Maybe, maybe get an Eric Dyer cameo in midfield, too. Yeah, if he doesn't get sold in the January January transfer window, which I think he should, but that's for another day. So it will be exciting to see what teams happen to, to make it all the way. I believe the last AFCON final was Egypt for Senegal. And at that time, you actually had uh, Sané and Mohamed Salah both on the squad at the same time, right? Yeah, Sadio Mane was the uh, the captain of Senegal, and, and they did yeah. win it. Um, even though it means he'll be back later, I actually hope that that Salah wins AFCON just because uh, he's not won it with Egypt. And I think the last time it was 21-22 and he came back and it looked like mentally he was a little bit like devastated for from not winning it, losing it on penalties. So um, hopefully for his sake and that he comes back with, you know, triumphant and same with uh, my boy Wataro Endo, who's 
also leading Japan. One player to Japan who Arsenal is losing, uh, who's recovering from an injury, is uh, Tamiyasu. So wishing both of those guys good luck at at, uh, the Asian Cup. Moving on to the next one, Sean and and Kyle, why don't you go ahead and take this one away? This is Manchester United. we got two things, one of the present and one of the past for Manchester United. But first is the discussions with Borussia Dortmund for a loan of the return of Jordan Sancho. Yeah, Jaden Sancho looks like he's going back to to Dortmund. Uh, Discussions started up yesterday. Obviously, he had a falling out with Ten Hag on August 26th and has not played since then. He posted something on... Uh, I believe it was Instagram saying that he's been scapegoated for too long, that it's not acceptable and not fair. Ten Hag demanded an apology. Sancho refused. Um, but even beyond that, since he made the 85 million pound move from Dortmund, or yeah, from Dortmund to United in in 2021, um, things really haven't gotten off, you know, to the best start. And um, either both through you know performance, injuries, etc., just it's not really worked out. So hopefully going back to Dortmund will, you know, kind of revitalize him a little bit. Obviously had a very successful stint there back from 2017 to 2021. But um, definitely something to monitor. We'll see if that comes to fruition. Hopefully it does just for his sake, you know, getting getting some game time back. Um, but, you know, when you speak about one part of Manchester United, you'd be remiss not to mention their top all-time goal scorer, Wayne Rooney, getting the sack on Tuesday morning from Birmingham City after just 15 games in charge. Uh, took over the Blues when they were in sixth place, and now just 83 days later, they sit 20th place, just six points clear of the relegation zone. So, Kyle, I know you have some uh, strong opinions on English legends when they're trying to make it in management. Give me your thoughts on this one. I do. I have many strong opinions on that. I think it's disrespectful, and I think it's disgusting. <laughs> Fireman after 15 games. Granted, he had a 13% win rate. I think he won two of 15 games, nine losses, and then, what is that, four draws? Four draws. So it, it's it's poor. It's not what you want to see, but you got to give the guy time. I mean, unbelievable. He, you know, you put this little note in here that he joins the likes of Frank Lampard and Steven Gerrard. It's, yeah. I mean, legends. Absolute legends. I don't love it. I get it. It's just exciting to see where Rooney will go next, whether he laces the cleats back up and joins up on a new team <laughs> or he decides to continue his managerial career it's going to be interesting i could see him coming back to the epl there's a lot of teams that could use him i mean at this point chelsea why not just take a chance but let's yeah. just destroy chelsea further let's do that yeah i mean you hate to see it you hate to see a man of wayne rooney's caliber getting the sack <laughs> I think he could return to the MLS. He just came from a relatively okay stint at DC United on their return season. They finished in 12th, which was outside of the playoffs, because that's something that we do in America here. It's called playoffs. It's when teams play against each other, and then that determines who's the best team in the whole entire season, which is about not favorited for most of the world for obvious reasons, but um, maybe a stint back in the MLS. Yeah, one thing to note, though, is... He did coach Derby County when they got relegated, but they got hit with so many point deductions that season. And, you know, he joined up and he would have kept them in the league without those point reductions. And they were not Mm -hmm. his fault. That was stuff that had already been going on before he joined up. And he knew about it once he showed up and decided to stay. It shows unbelievable loyalty within the man. So, you know, if if you're going to hire him at this point, you know what you're getting. You're getting an absolute legend of the game who is loyal to a T played for one team for the majority of his career before he went to Everton for some reason. And then (laughs) 
you know, he, he's trying. It, it's you got to give him your shot. Stop giving him teams like Derby County and Birmingham. Give him a team like Manchester United, you know? Yep. Well, Sean, Everton was um, was Rooney's hometown, right? He was from the area. Yeah, I actually talked to a guy who was or who grew up going to school with Wayne Rooney when I was in Liverpool. He was uh, one of the taxi drivers and very shockingly said he was the most overcompetitive person that he'd ever met. And that if you were playing like, you know, roller hockey in gym class, he had to win. He had to win everything. Um, hey, that's that edge, man. It's that edge. They got yeah, like, yeah, Sounds no, like Ronaldo. He, yeah, he said there was another kid who played in the Liverpool Academy who probably had like maybe not quite the same skill level, but very similar. Um, but he just said the difference was the mentality with Rooney was just so different. Um, right. Yeah, but yeah, he joins the you know the the legends who flopped as a manager. Obviously, notably Kyle's boy Frank Lampard, who you know gets a job every year and stinks no matter where it is. Um, just <laughs> just had to take that shot in there. I don't I don't understand. Uh, he's a legend. <laughs> It just it goes to show being a, a great player doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a great manager. Um, mm-hmm. I think the thing that all three of those guys have is, you know, obviously incredible tech. You know, uh, Steven Gerrard being the other one, all had like great technical ability and and athleticism. Um, whereas it's harder to relate. I think Thierry Henry was a victim of this as well to players who are at a lower skill level don't have your ability, your natural ability. Um, and and the guys who seem to be more successful are either defenders, goalkeepers, or central midfielders who maybe aren't as athletic but are more known for their you know their football IQ. Examples yep. being like Chabi Alonso, Xavi, um, and then further back the pitch, uh, you got guys like you know Nuno Espirito Santo. I know was a, was a pretty prolific goalie for a while. Um, so yeah, so just, one other guy that you know, I don't know if you're avoiding him on purpose yeah, or Pep, not, but my boy Pep. Yeah, Pep was another one. Pep's another example, deep lying playmaker. Well, Pep was just so good because he got to ride the bench all that time, got to actually see the game from a different viewpoint as the players that started. I didn't know you were such a big fan of Idoni Iriola, James. Yeah, yeah, that's, he's actually, that's the Spaniard you're talking about, right? He's actually my ultimate team coach because I just haven't bought Mikel Arteta yet. But uh, yes, I was referring <laughs> to nipples yeah areola that's who i was referring to <laughs> well speaking of nipples let's talk about the absolute tits that was oh. arsenal's performance over the last wow week. wow normally i'm the one with the smooth transitions oh. but that one was painful that one was painful yeah it was rough it's been a rough end to 2023 for me um coming from a really frustrated 2-0 loss at uh london stadium and then a very frustrating 2-1 loss at Craven Cottage. Uh, One, obviously, is a little bit more frustrating than the other. Um, I'll kind of let you highlight the two matches so I can kind of put in my input where it's warranted so we don't have an endless pool of sorrow and and sadness. We are working on recording now, too, visually, so I don't want to provide too many tears in the videos that we have. So, Sean, take it away. I, I think the first one we have to talk about is the frustrating evening at London Stadium against West Ham against the Hammers. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to to mention that game was actually at Emirates. So oh, that's right. That I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah you guys yep. think at home. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, Virgil Van, the, yeah, it actually, William Saliba has now lost more games at home in the Premier League this season than Virgil van Dijk has in his entire Liverpool career. Just something to note. Um, anyways, yeah, the first game is, was definitely, like you said, very frustrating, I'm sure, as from an Arsenal perspective. They totally dominated possession, shots on target, all that. But I think, and we talked about it with our friend Jack Dugan, who's a big Hammers fan, they just set up so well and they're so well-suited 
for that counterattacking, you know, soak up all the pressure and hit you on the break. They have guys like Kudus, Paqueta, Bowen. Um, all three can be good outlets where they can, you know, pick up the ball in their own half and dribble out and kind of relieve pressure for everybody else behind them, you know, let them kind of refresh a little bit and still be dangerous on the counter. And, and you know, that's what we saw in this game. Um, both, you know, Bo- Bowen assisted the, the Socek opener and then Kudus won the corner for the uh, for the second goal for for West Ham. Um, have to ask you about a guy. I don't think I, I ever really I remember him being on Arsenal, but I don't remember ever seeing him play, which is Mavropanos, who scored an unbelievable header. He looked like you would have thought he was a, a number nine the way he finished that header. Uh, to I make think he I think he had seven caps for Arsenal Dude, right around that just, number. Uh, can I hear you pronounce that full name? I didn't even hear what he said because it just was not it was not going to happen. But I should I should have listened a little bit closer. But um, let's see, do we have it on the list? Yeah. So it's we're going to try this for the fans out here. It's <laughs> Constantinos Marvro Panos. Is that close enough? We'll give it. We'll give it. Give it that. Sure I think that. I threw an extra syllable in the first name. I think I threw an yeah, extra one. Yeah, Constantinos Marvro Panos, but both Mavro of those Panos. guys. Um, <laughs> But the other thing you have to mention is is the ball in from Ward Prowse, who I feel like we talked about a lot at the beginning of the year, and then he went a little bit quiet. Yeah, he's up to six assists already this year. His best season in the Prem is seven, so it just shows you that you know the type of you know quality that that West Ham have. Totally agree with you that, or or the sentiments that you had from what we talked about that Arsenal were the better team, but so that sometimes that doesn't result in the three points going your way, and I think that's a, a perfect example of it. Was this game? Yeah, I mean, you said it. I think Arsenal absolutely dominated the game. I'll put my frustration out there for if you're a West Ham fan, how you play like that is just, it's just really disappointing to see them park the bus so heavy, so early. One after, of course, we have to mention, and I'll say it once, another possible out of bounds on the baseline, which I feel like was more of understanding of inconclusive evidence than the Newcastle one, if you're going to pick the pick pick the worst of the two. I think the Newcastle one is now even more so a fuck up uh, than this one, obviously. But with that being said, Arsenal had 77 touches in West Ham's box, which is the most in Premier League history without scoring a goal. One, 77 touches is extremely impressive, and we've been able to do that quite a bit, not at that extent this season, with the new technical change for possession and working the ball into the box. But fucking 77 touches in the box doesn't mean dick if none of them go into the fucking nut. So that's a large issue that we're having right now, and we can talk about that a little bit more during the next game's highlight, which was definitely definitely less of a of, of a showing from the Gunners. It was away, and Fulham has given us difficulty in the past. We did drop points against them in the first half of the season at Emirates Stadium uh, with a late-minute goal. I forget if it was from – was it from Rapina for the for that one? I think something like that, but yeah, it, was, it, was, it was – It was Paulinha. It was Paulinha. Uh, Joe Paulinha had a goal in like the 86 like the or 87, yeah. something like that, yeah. to, to make it a to 2-2 game. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that, like to your point – this was a much more evenly matched game. Like Fulham wasn't just sitting back and we've seen that this year already. Like they caused a lot of problems for Liverpool when they came to Anfield and nearly won that game. They're also, they have a lot of players who can cause problems on the counter attack as well. Um, but I think their, their buildup is a lot more slick than a West Ham where West Ham is more just kind of, you know, put it into space and hope one of Kudus or Bowen can, or Paqueta can make something brilliant happen, which 
they're more than capable of doing versus Fulham just seems to, from a managerial attacking standpoint, Marco Silva is a lot more yep. forward thinking, I would say, would be the the word I would use. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I first really realized it during the Liverpool game that you mentioned how possessive and their central presence. One, I think at the time, Liverpool, and I still don't think Liverpool has a top three midfield central presence in the league quite yet. I think they're very good out the wing and on the top. I think they lack in that center space, but we've talked about that with injuries and everything like that happening right now that they're not at their ceiling on that. But they had a great game against Liverpool in the center of the pitch with possession-wise that they nearly pulled out a, a win there. And then again, they had a really great presence in the center of the, of the pitch with Polinia, who leads the the league in tackles in that defensive side of things. And then Alex Wobi has been a great addition to them as well, who we mentioned before is going to be a big miss during the AFCON um, interruption here in, in January. But, I mean, the problem here, again, and I don't know how much we want to get into it, but I know leading into this game, I was expecting a win or a bounce back or something along those lines. And I just don't know what the fix is. Um, I think the questions that we have to ask, and this is a question for me that you put on the, on the, uh, on the description here is like, what do you think will lead to these results? And is this something that can be addressed in the transfer window or is it more of a tweak in tactics that are required? So, I mean, it's, it's a tough one. The easy answer everyone is looking at is the need for a purebred striker that who will play in between the two center backs who will be able to receive crosses coming in from the left with Martinelli and Sock on the right side or stay up high enough in between those two center backs where Udegaard can thread a pass in, he turns and he gets a pure strike on it. We don't have one of those right now. Eddie does his best to do that, but that's kind of the easiest one. It's similar to what Ange does with the inform Richarlson, and I agree this would be huge, but the financials aren't looking super great without a swap sale of uh, Emil Smith-Rowe, Eddie, or Thomas Party with some plus cash. Um, the non-transfer window option is starting us, is starting staring us kind of in the face and that's the tactical change from last year, free-flowing, kind of playing a little bit further back into our own half and allowing our wingers to have more freedom and space for a direct attack. We just overload the center of the pitch right now with the inverted fullback, which is typically Zinchenko, which helps a lot in the possession style. But in the long run, I don't think that this is going into the proper direction if you if you completely eliminate that counterattack or the direct approach. So I think we really need to start talking more about that direct approach with balls over the top, up and over the back line before opponents like park the bus. Cause that's an extremely frustrating thing that's happening to us because we allow them the time to get back on defense and kind of get their defensive shape. We have a lot of speed with sock and we have a lot of speed with Martinelli. I think we need to be able to have them a little bit further into our half and then kind of do similar what to Liverpool does, which is great. They had, they press the ball high, but then they drop back and they can go for the quick counter. So I think that's something that we really need to focus on. And of course, it becomes harder and harder the more time we give them. And and the fact that last year we weren't as taken as seriously as we are this year also comes into a factor. You know, a lot of people are playing us differently and they have our number on some of these matches. So it's really tough to say what we want to do. I would love to see a player swap plus cash with Eddie for some striker. We need something. We've talked about having a a backup for Saka, which I believe we do with Jesus when we need it. And he also provides the option of coming in relatively fresh for a striker that we have. But I really think that backup or the, the competitor for the number one spot has to be for the striker. Yeah, I, I read something today that Crystal Palace were interested in Niketia, but basically that Arsenal would not sell him without having 
a replacement number nine lined up, which obviously seems like the appropriate approach. And um, just wanted to you know give a little bit of credit to Fulham because yeah, obviously, I think we talked about this. I and and I agree with your point. I think Arsenal. The one thing that I just noticed when they fell down two one in this game, it didn't feel like anything changed in terms of the sense of urgency. Like it's still kind of the same thing where they win the ball back in their half, the ball gets played to Rice, he strides up the pitch with the ball, and then just looks to play it off to the wing, and everything slows down. And like you said, teams can kind of get into their block and set up and and um, and frustrate from there. But we have to give credit to Fulham in this game. They played really, really well. I think um, especially that first goal was well-worked. Um, Raul Jimenez scored his fourth goal in his last four games. He missed the previous three appearances or previous three games with a suspension on that, on that game against Newcastle. We talked about that red card. The karate um, kid style. <laughs> oh. Just kind of ran over somebody. Um, <laughs> but he's in, he's in really good form, and it, that's nice to see. We talked about him a bit with Nick about – um, you know, the injuries and, and his struggles at Wolves and, and now seeing him kind of get back to his best is really encouraging. Yeah. Um, but then the second goal is really sloppy defending from Arsenal, just like in their own box, kind of bounce like bounces around off two or three guys. I think Gabrielle was one of them. I forget who else was the Tommy culprit Asu. there. Tommy Asu was the other one. Um, and then De Cordova just, you know, puts it home pretty easily. He's, he's standing right on the top of the six yard box and it's, you know, a professional is going to score that nine times out of yeah. 10 probably higher, even higher than that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think the thing for me is that urgency. And I think um, you talked about it like they want to incorporate or they wanted to incorporate Havertz into more like long ball situations and use his height, um, which could be interesting at, at the nine, but then they, then they don't really have someone in that, that left center mid spot. And I think that's what they're missing is kind of the, another creative player. I think teams can overload because – Odegaard likes to stay more on the right-hand mm-hmm. side. Obviously, you have Sokka over there. Anthony Robinson, by the way, we have to mention him. An Amer- you know, plays for the USMNT. He has pocketed Sokka and Salah tw- like each in the past month, which is really, really impressive. I mean, they're two of the best right-wingers in the league. So um, just wanted to give them cre- credit as well. Obviously, you know, Arsenal's supposed to win that game, but Fulham deserves some you know level of respect and credit for their performance. Absolutely, especially with Robinson. I know he's been possibly linked to Liverpool too uh, with the lacking of now your true left backs. So that would be an interesting seed if he gets anywhere during the transfer window. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with almost everything James said except for one part where he called Richarlison in form. I mean, I watched the Tottenham game this weekend. He is most certainly not in form. I was, uh, I was actually watching with a Tottenham fan who described him as a black hole. Whereas every time the ball goes near him, which happens all the time, it ends up somewhere completely random on the pitch afterwards. I absolutely loved that description. But, I mean, to your point, though, James, is there really any huge worries from this? You, you lost both the games, but you, your XGs were significantly higher on both attempts. I mean, the team is still flowing as they should. It's more of just missing that one clinical finish, which you can blame that on a bad week at that point. I mean, it's eight days apart, those games, seven days. You, you miss chances every now and then, but I mean, 2.73 XGs and getting shut out doesn't happen often. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 tough unless those XGs are also followed by a scoreline like Liverpool's this weekend. It it doesn't really matter, you know, which is the sad part of it. 
I definitely don't think, and Declan Rice said it after the game, it's not a time to panic. This is going to happen, especially in the season. We've called it a few times. The winner of the season is going to be anywhere between 82 and I think 86 points. It's going to be a tight one. Sean, you have mentioned in the past that you think Manchester City will will get up towards the 90 mark, which is very possible with Kevin De Bruyne coming back. So we, we don't really know, especially since it's legitimately just halfway through the season. But I don't, I don't think it's panic mode. It's definitely not going to fall into a massive rut here. I think we need one good win and to get back into form, play a couple of the bottom half of the table teams, get a three-goal game in us, get a four-goal game in us, and, and, and then the floodgates will start to open up. So I'm not too, too concerned. But I hate doing this, Kyle, because he's a Tottenham player and because he's Richarlson. But I think Richie is in one of the best forms of his entire English Premier League life. I mean, he's got one, he's two, got five three, in his last four, five. five. Yeah, but that yeah. makes he's him... got five in his yeah. last five. He had six, the most six times as amount of goals that he had in all of last season. Yeah, but you know, Rich Alton <laughs> in crazy form is five, like five times player. as many in the last like what two weeks as he had in thirty games last year. So yeah, what happened? He got a he got pelvic bone surgery and now he's Superman. Yeah, like, so what's, it sounds what's like now you learned how to you know, to walk from crawling. He's still got a long way to go till he's running. You know I mean? You look <laughs> well, he, he, son, son is just on another level. So. Well, yeah, I think you can't compare son and Richarlson, but like I said, as much as I hate to do it, I think gotta credit, give credit is due where credit is due. He's got a, he's got Dude, a he pigeon boy. He deserves his hair. Some credit. He looks, I won't say it. He looks. That's ridiculous. not the only thing he bleeds. Wait, sorry. Oh, wait, Copernicus. <laughs> <laughs> Well, whatever. We're getting we're getting on a tangent here, but I think it's a good little pause. I went on a bit of a, a stride with Arsenal, which we will hopefully bounce back during the look ahead for the FA Cup this weekend. We'll talk about that. But in the interim, while you guys digest everything that has been Arsenal, we'll take a quick short break here and then we'll pop right into our quick shout outs because there were other games that happened this weekend, some extremely exciting ones, and then we'll look at our look ahead for the FA Cup ties. So we'll be right back. Liverpool for Newcastle 2, and we've alluded it before with XGs, but this game is one for the history books. Liverpool has smashed the current XG record uh, by over 1.45 or something like that, XGs, with 7.27 to Newcastle's 0.7. Now, with that being said, the game did end with six goals, possibly could have been more. Two goals, I believe, were chalked off for offsides. That was Liverpool's first goal. And Sven Botman's first goal for Newcastle. So this was a really entertaining game overall. Um, I would watch the entirety of it now because obviously with the title race and contention, anytime Liverpool hits the pitch, Man City hits the pitch, Villa hits the pitch, these are all hot games, you know, including Arsenal. So Sean, another one that looked a bit rocky from the start for Liverpool until the floodgates opened up. What did you take away? What was your thoughts and feelings on this this onslaught at the goal? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously the XG was really good. The press was stifling. I think that's that's the main takeaway that I have from this one, especially Curtis Jones, I thought looked really, really good in this game. Um, but certainly at halftime, a little bit of worries creeping in because they're, Liverpool just didn't take their chances. And obviously the main culprit of that was Nunez, but he wasn't the only one in this game, certainly in the first half as well, um, who missed chances. Something that 
I just wanted to make note of. I thought it was funny. And, and Kyle, I know you have a related note to this was Liverpool generated a quarter of Manchester United's expected goals for the entire season in this match. Um, and I know you had another stat just to, to really turn the knife into our boy Ian. Oh, yeah, Ian, I'm so sorry, but uh, Manchester United finished <laughs> all of 2023 with 53 goals. Ronaldo had 54. You lost to a player. You, oh. well, it, Not it only a player, a player that you got rid of. <laughs> yeah, well, it helps like when, he's, when the goalie's old. a camel. The goalie's literally yeah. a camel. For, <laughs> for I keep telling my Etsy yeah. pack. I keep telling my brother that because he's a huge Ronaldo fan. He's like, he's crushing it. I'm like, yeah, dude, because they have 500 fans in the stands, dude. It's a pickup league. Man. Uh, it's a pickup ten goals league. for Portugal this year, though. He's still doing it internationally. He's he's always yes. gonna he's always gonna be a bagsman. He might be 40 years old. You throw him on the pitch, he could still find a way to slot a couple. Absolutely. But getting back to slotting all of the goals from this game, Sean, popping back into to Liverpool's relatively stronghold victory here. Yeah. Uh, Mo Salah, obviously, is the other guy you have to mention in this game. He had two goals. He did miss a penalty, but he also assisted one and then had the uh, a hockey assist on the other one. And the pass, the, the pass to Gakpo, I'm going mm. to steal Kyle's line. A well-placed cone could have scored that one because Gakpo <laughs> completely botches the finish. It hits the <laughs> bottom of his studs. And then just and go and rolls into the corner. And Dubravka, by the way, deserves a lot of credit. He was phenomenal mm-hmm. in this game. If if Gakpo hits that well, he might actually have saved it, but because he messed it up, but the pass is outrageous. It's outside of the foot. He beats the – I think it's Livermento was over there at that time. Beats him and then hits this ridiculous Travella pass um, into Gakpo. That, um, that game puts him as only the third player ever to have seven straight seasons of 20-plus goal involvements, the others being Harry Kane and Thierry Henry. I'm talking about – you know, royalty in the Premier League, those two guys certainly come to mind. Um, and, and obviously, uh, you know, you're going to you're going to bring it up. But Salah is going to be a huge miss over these next, you know, I think it's three Premier League games. He misses Bournemouth, Chelsea and Arsenal. Um, but then obviously also the FA Cup and then the two legs of the, the Carabao Cup semifinal. He's been involved in about 50 percent of Liverpool's goals this season. So you need. Darwin Nunez to step up his finishing. You need Diaz, who, by the way, had probably had his best game of the season in this match. Um, I think yeah, he started he to look a lot more like himself, the player that we saw in 21-22 previous to his injury last year. Um, you need the, him and then and then Diogo Jata, who's you know working his way back from injury, but um, you know, contributed another assist in this game. He scored against Burnley in the previous one. That's that's obviously the main guy, uh, particularly with two games against Arsenal in these next 30 days. Um, and it, and his history, I think he's got seven goals and eight appearances against Arsenal as a Liverpool player. He's he's obviously the guy to look out for, and I think um, he more than anyone else is going to be relied upon to start scoring goals. Absolutely, he's he's had that weight on his shoulders before, uh, you know, through injuries coming in and being the number one guy. I think, and I'll ask you the question on a scale for one to ten, a final answer: how badly they're going to miss with miss Mo. But, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold is is playing a completely different role than he had been the first half of the season last year being inverted. Not a true traditional inverted fullback at times, but with the, him being there and then Mo Salah not being able to kind of draw the defenders away from even just his central presence or central right, right mid kind of presence in that overload, I think is going to affect Trent's 
uh, positioning and his ability to be more of a playmaker as well because the, the distraction of Mo Salah there is going to be gone. So with that being said, on a scale for 1 to 10, 10 meaning you know, you're going up against you know, a tough team with Mo Salah, it's a 50-50 shot. With Mo Salah, you think you'll win. Without him, you won't win it, or it would be a lot closer. That's 10, one being it's not a concern. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's a huge, I don't know, probably eight and a half, nine. It's hard to say because he's always available, so it's hard to know exactly what the team's going to look yeah. like without him. But, yeah, of course it's a concern. He's, you know, for me, one of the three best players in the Premier League at minimum and probably one of the 10 best players in the world. Um, just a quick aside, the fact that he wasn't nominated for the FIFA Pro 11 in 2023 is a joke. Same with Allison yeah. to me. I, I think, you know, both guys are, are more than deserving of being considered, considered, you know, one of the best players at their positions in the world. Um, but yeah, it, it's obviously a concern. It just, it really depends on, um, you know, those guys stepping up in attack and then also, you know, midfield, I think um, we're going to, we're going to see a lot more of, of guys like Curtis Jones. Um, and Harvey Elliott over the next couple of weeks, I think um, Harvey Elliott especially maybe might be sliding in on the right. Um, he played there quite a bit for for Blackburn when he was in the championship on loan a few years back. I know that's obviously not you know the best track record for, for the guy when you're in a title yeah. race. Um, and then also he did play there against West Ham in the Carabao Cup or yeah Carabao Cup game. I was at a few weeks back and played quite well. So he's someone to keep an eye on. I think he's he's done well in in spots coming off the bench in midfield. So it'll be interesting to see what he looks like on the right wing. He's naturally left footed as he well. Is. Yes. Yep. Yeah. What he's not afraid to take an outside of the box shot. And no. he, when he makes no, a connection, he, he he makes a very strong connection too. So I think that's a great attribute that will be able to come. Obviously, it's not a like for like, like we said with Mosala. I don't think anyone there is a like for like. Sean, I have uh, two questions for you about this game. One of which is, do you agree that Mo Salah needs to fire his barber because his hair is atrocious? And the follow-up would be, do you think that the final penalty of this game to really put it out of reach was deserved? Because I, I thought that was a pretty pretty generous call for the final. Okay, so I, I totally understand everyone losing their mind about this call. But at the same time, Dubravka said it's a penalty. He's the guy who fouled him. He, If you watch the play, he does contact him on the ankle. And the one thing that I find very um, convenient or ironic, you know, from pundits and things like that is when an English player like Harry Kane dives and he is, does it constantly and has done it constantly in the past. He's clever. Oh, the defender or the goalkeeper shouldn't have put themselves in their position. When a foreign player dives, it's world war fucking three. I just, I think that's, it's a little bit convenient. Um, I, James called it like the most egregious penalty call of the season. Forgetting the part where Martin Odegaard turned into LeBron James two weeks ago at Anfield. But you know, you got, you I guys, well, I asked you the question. I asked if there was, it was raining earlier that day. You said, no, you guys overwatered the pitch. Everyone was slipping all it over the place. It was a natural hand when movement. We got out of there. When you got out of there, out of, out of there. But I mean, it's similar. Like you had Kai Havertz was he was called a penalty kick earlier in the season with Manchester United, which then was called back after VAR with Anthony Tyler being the referee. Similar minimal contact. You heard the verbiage on that. My opinion on the penalty kick isn't going to change. I think it was very soft. And then the diving situation. I think 
you're right, spot on that it gets a, a wrong light with being uh, Jota, Jota from uh, Portugal, but he didn't do himself any favors. That was worse acting than some of the new animated movies that are out there for kids these days that are just going to put you to sleep. It was piss poor diving there. I think he got caught in between, like it was just enough contact to go down possibly, but I also, I also have an open net and he just didn't, he, didn't, he couldn't make up his mind. So he decided to act like he got shot halfway through the box. But still, it's always tough and you're going to have these games no matter what, regardless of, of the end result, Liverpool was the deserving team at the end of the day. So whether it's 3-2 or 4-2, I think Liverpool definitely took took the right value out of it with that final scoring result. I think still one of the man of the match you mentioned before was Newcastle's goalkeeper with Debravka. I think New- Newcastle had a problem going into the transfer, January transfer window with possibly needing a replacement for Nick Pope, who's having his his uh, issues, I believe, with the shoulder. Uh, but right now, with the backup playing in the way he is, I think maybe just a minor backup keeper would be good because he was he was phenomenal, like you mentioned. And you know, since November first, Newcastle have had the worst expected goals against figure in the league at twenty three point seven goals expected goals against. 29 allowed a far cry from last year's league best defense, which gave up 33 goals all season. So I think Newcastle, we've mentioned before, is being absolutely pummeled by injuries. Trippier was out as well, I believe, in this game. And then everyone's forgetting, but the the fact that Newcastle spent big on Tonali and he has been suspended because of his betting, betting issue now puts Newcastle in financial fire play issues for this January transfer window. They're missing a big hole in that number six, which he was filling relatively well. And that's kind of compounding, even though it's been out of sight for a little while. So Newcastle's in a bit of a, a bit of a problem here. Yeah, kick them out but, of the Premier League. There is no tolerance for breaking financial fair play. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> well, they haven't broke it yet, supposedly. They definitely don't have 215 accounts of it. But... We'll, we'll see what we do. But one thing that is also kind of, unfortunately, horrendous because your gut was correct at the beginning or the end of the episode, last episode, is the next game that happened. And this is Wolves 3, Everton 0. Ex- expected goals, Wolves 2.26, Everton 0.51. Everton on a bit of a a downward slope here. Uh, hopefully they can come back. But what a what a game for Wolves. Yeah, I uh, I'm an idiot. Let's just I'll put my hand up and say that. So, I laid out a whole case for why Wolves were going to win the game. You know, they played really well. They had a really impressive win at Brentford. They're coming back home against an Everton team that had two losses in a row, and I galaxy brained it and 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 second guessed myself <laughs> and was deservedly punished. Um, the guy, the two guys for me, uh, Matthias Cunha has really started to pick it up again. To reference the episode with Nick, he said like Cunha's really got to start scoring for us to you know to finish in the top half and really progress as a club. He started to do that. He had a goal and an assist in this game, um, and then Neto came back from injury, made a little cameo off the bench, which is really nice to see for Wolves because he was phenomenal to start the year, absolutely electric. Um, and then the last note I have on them is that Huang Hee Chen, they're going to miss him desperately. He's already up to ten goals this year. It's the most by any Wolves player in the last three seasons. So, um, you know, anytime, you know, a, a top goal scorer goes out, it's tough to replace. We just talked about it with Salah. You know, um, Huang Hee Chan's a big loss, but getting Neto back should help with, you know, the creativity and 
maybe a couple other guys will step up in his absence. Yeah, absolutely. He's their leading goal scorer with 10, as you mentioned. He's also tied for second with shots on target per 90, you know, already with a team that had been struggling with some offensive power in the beginning of the season. So not a great time to be losing him. But Kyle, talk us through another game that Manchester United just keeps on surprising us with when they're good and when they're bad. They have a great game against Aston Villa, who at the time I believe was in second place, still is in second place, or they were in first place. But at this point, and they they beat them three to two in a in a relatively large thriller. But then they lose at um, City Field, or no, not City Field, um, City Ground, fucking City Ground. Thank you against Nottingham Forest, two to one with again less than one expected goals. Yeah, uh, it was a good game to watch. It was pretty even. I mean, Manchester United did have the advantage. They had 10 shots to Nottingham Forest's eight. They had 55% possession. They had double the fouls. I'd love to see that. But it, it this comes down to Nottingham Forest just playing well once again. I mean, Gibbs White is on a tear under his former boss. He's leading the league in, not league, I'm sorry, team, in chances created, shots, possession wood, and progressive carries. Pretty impressive stuff. Uh, Forest also get their first win over Man U in, was it 19 years? Or I'm sorry, 29 years, which is extremely impressive. Since, was it 1994 was the last time Forest beat Manchester United. So that's always fun to watch. Sucks to be Manchester United. But there is a positive that comes out of this game. In my opinion, it's that Marcus Rashford scored. Seeing a striker on Manchester United put a ball in the back of the net is big. That's what's been missing these last few months. You had Ramses Holian doing it last week. You have Marcus Rashford doing it this week. It's a little bright spark in this absolute shit fest that Manchester United has been stuck in lately. Um, I, I will say, I think if if Ramses was healthy this game, they would have had a different chance. You know, one of your more informed strikers, but he was out due to illness because he's a pussy. And that's what it is. But I do think that there are some positives to take from this game for both sides, really which is embarrassing for Manchester United if you need to take a positive away from playing Nottingham Forest. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. You know, at 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 home, Nottingham Forest has been relatively good in the second half of this first half of the season. They're coming to a little form. Unfortunately, some hot news that we didn't mention before but just came out was that Nottingham Forest is potentially in financial financial fair play issues as well. So it would be interesting to see what they do during this January transfer window. We've mentioned multiple times that last year they spent, and this year they spent the most out of recently promoted teams um, in recent history. So I'm sure that probably has something to do with it, not doing super well last season, but obviously managing to stay up helps a lot. But we'll see if anything else develops from that financial situation at Forest. But the final game that we have a quick shout out that was able to pull what I would consider a a kind of Chelsea-ish win was a 3-2 victory over Luton Town at Kenilworth Road, uh, which Luton Town has been, I I think I deemed it last episode, the possible new Goodison Park, uh, which was heavily like the 12th man on the field for Everton. I think it's now the 12th man on the field for Luton Town. They just happen to really play very, very well at home against especially these big top six teams. So coming out and possibly having a comeback against Chelsea after going up relatively easily um, was was great. But I know... Sean, there's one player in particular that had a, a terrific game that we mentioned a couple pods ago. I kind of put him on the on the hot seat, whether or not he lived up to the hype or not. I'm still on the fence about him because he's young, but he has a lot of potential. And that's Cole Palmer. 
Tell us about his performance. Yeah, a very classy performance from him. He scored a brace in this game, and the second one in particular I would recommend looking up. The composure that he has to take the ball over the top, bring it down, go around the goalkeeper, and then also not just blast it because then there's a defender that slides, waits for him to slide bass and then slot it. Um, That's just a cool, you know, professional top-notch attacking player finish. Um, I did defend him a little bit when you were say, when you put him on the hot seat. I yep. think I think he's a a very good player and he's been the key man at Chelsea. I think Nkuku will step into that role as he starts to regain fitness and form um, after a long term injury. But Cole Palmer's been tremendous for Chelsea. Um, and then the other guy on the other side of things, I wanted to talk about Alfie Dowdy, who's a guy I don't think we've mentioned once so far this year for Luton Town. Um, he had an assist in this game. He had another one chalked off due to uh, VAR for on offsides. He's been really, really good. Um, he's pretty much their main attacking uh, or creative outlet. Him and Ross Barkley, who also um, really cool to see the form that he's kind of returned to back to his Everton days. Um, he's had problems with injuries and and kind of an underwhelming spell at Chelsea a few years back. He's been really good. But Alfie Doughty, just 24 years old, leads Luton in chances created with 35, which puts him 12th in the league. The next closest player is Ross Barkley with 14, meaning he's got 21 chances, more chances created than anyone else on his team. Um, I, I think he's he's kind of established himself as a guy who belongs in the Premier League, regardless of whether or not Luton Town stay up this year. Um, we've talked about them being the best of the three promoted sides in terms of performance and um, the style of play that you need to have to get to grind out points and and, and you know grind out enough to stay up. Um, but yeah, obviously from a Chelsea standpoint, a little bit concerning that they nearly let Luton come back and win this game or, t- or take points off them in this game. Two goals in the last 10. They were also, from an XG standpoint, Luton were, had 2.8 goal XG versus Chelsea's 1.56. So uh, Luton, that's the second or third time recently where they've also won the XG battle. So it's not just like they're a team where, you know, as you were calling it before, terrorist ball with with West Ham, David Moyes, where they just look to hit you <laughs> on the break. They actually have played some pretty good football of late. Absolutely. They came into form. I think a lot of it is just because they're 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 finding their form. It, it takes a little bit, especially if you're a small town team like that. And now you're playing the big league, going to the Etihad twice a season, going oh, not twice a season, but playing against Manchester City twice a season, playing against Liverpool twice a season. Like you go through a run and obviously they played Arsenal and Man City back to back. So it's it's very difficult for them, but definitely huge. Um, one player on Chelsea, I'd keep an eye out for everybody during the transfer window is Connor Gallagher. There's been a lot of connections to the potential sale of him, which I would think is a mistake. He's been another one of their key players for the entirety of the season when they were doing poorly. He seemed like one of the bright lights in the squad. So I think with Nguku, uh, Palmer, and Gallagher, you have that foundation that Chelsea have been searching for for so long. But with that being said, the final kind of game to watch of the weekend, because it's all FA Cup, um, is, is coming up. So we have three look-aheads for you there. And the first one is Crystal Palace versus Everton at Selhurst Park on 3 p.m. on Thursday. So that is tomorrow, I believe. Yeah, it's already Wednesday, which is wild. The new year comes at you fast. But this will be a, this will be a good one. Crystal Palace is, is not a team that anyone takes lightly. And then Everton is looking to bounce back after some recent poor form, after some really recent good form. So that will be an interesting one. And then why don't we go to Sunderland versus Newcastle? And I know uh, if you haven't seen it already, I believe it's on 
Netflix, but it's Sunderland Till I Die. It is a documentary series that falls through the life of a Sunderland fan during their promotion, relegation, relegation, relegation. Great watch. So seeing them back in the bright light against Newcastle at home. So interesting game. Sean, do you have any takeaways on this one? Yeah, of course. I mean, the Tonware Derby, they're two teams uh, in neighboring cities, and they loathe each other. If you ask any Newcastle fan who's their biggest rival, they'll still say Sunderland, even though Sunderland's not been up in eight years. Um and I expect this atmosphere to be by far the best of any game this weekend. Um, obviously, Newcastle's struggling, but they're still going to be favored to advance. I would keep an eye on Sunderland, though. They're going to put up a strong lineup. They're really one of the more exciting teams to watch in the championship. I got to watch one of their games on TV when I was over there. Um, they have a really exciting squad, a lot of young players. The two guys that stand out for me are Jack Clark, who plays on the left, would definitely keep an eye on him. He's third in the championship in goals this year. He's just 22 years old. And then Joe Bellingham. And you're like, God, that name sounds familiar. That's because he's Jude's younger brother. He just made a move from Birmingham City to Sunderland this past summer. Um, definitely a game to keep an eye on. Stadium of Light holds almost 50,000 fans. And the vast majority of those are going to be telling Kyrian Trippier that he's a fuck. So look forward <laughs> to it. Um, definitely. That's a Saturday at 8 a.m. So you know, maybe if you didn't go out Friday night, that's that's a game to tune into. Um, all the FA Cup games are on ESPN Plus, so if you have that, would definitely recommend tuning in. And if not, I'll see you at Mully's. Yeah, Kyle, I think this is a game that you would want to watch because I feel like it's going to have a lot of fouls, a lot of heart. Oh, I'm going to be glued to the television. I can't wait for this. I mean, Luton fans everywhere are cringing hearing this, knowing that their stadium holds 10,000 and this Sunderland stadium holds 48,000. <laughs> but, I mean, it's going to be an epic game. Sunderland, you guys would, you'd know the uniforms, you know the insignia. They're a Premier League team that have just had a hard run out of late, but they are informed to get promoted. So this should be a good game with the form Newcastle's in, lacking at defense a little bit right now, missing, a, I mean, I would say missing a goalie, but, I mean, as you just heard, their goalie is fantastic Zabravka is doing well yeah he's yeah very absolutely but absolutely like james said this should be a raunchy game it's one of the better derbies of the year so keep an eye out for it yeah just as a reference because we talk about it a lot sunderland's current market value for all their combined players is 80 million euros or pounds rather so compared to obviously some of the other ones in the, in the premier league even newcastle at this point is absolutely insane and then um can we also talk about the name of the stadium? I mean, that's just gorgeous. The Stadium of Light. Sounds mystical. Sounds like from a video game. Gotta love it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's had some dark moments of as of late. <laughs> oh, definitely. this guy. Yeah, it was, that was poor. That was poor. I know, I know. But anywho, the last one that we would be highlighting is a rematch of just two weeks ago or three weeks ago. Three weeks ago. or Actually, technically two weeks ago, three games ago. And that is of Arsenal versus Liverpool. This time it is at the Emirates Stadium. This is at 11.30 on Sunday. Uh, the record winners of the FA Cup, that is Arsenal with 14, take on Liverpool, who has eight times the belt, essentially. Eight times they have worn it or lifted the trophy. This isn't WWE, although it could be interesting <laughs> to see. Kyle would like that, though. If it I was going to say, it, it would be entertaining. Oh, I would love that. But... Yeah, I mean, we'll see. It depends on who's going out on the pitch. This is obviously going to be a thrilling game, and, and Arsenal need to have a bounce back, especially even though, in my opinion, and Sean, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think Liverpool will probably be the squad that puts out the more rotated squad. 
uh, will be playing a little bit more of their cup ties. And obviously, it's the first game that we will see without Mo Salah. Uh, and we'll kind of go from there. I'm sure Elliot will be right into that right wing position. But obviously, for Arsenal, I, I think they start to play Trossard. I think, yeah, Sar gets a nod. Uh, in the central midfielder position. And other than that, I think we probably see a similar starting 11 trying to get a bounce back on this. I think Arteta will try to play a couple guys who are right on the cusp of getting, you know, prove prove to me that you can come in and play. But I also don't think he's going to risk losing a third round FA Cup game. Um, and so it all kind of depends on on what squads go out there. Yeah, I think that's definitely fair. Obviously, it's it's hard to say. Um, you know, what exactly it's going to look like. A guy I would like to see, I texted you about this earlier mm-hmm. today, was Ethan Wanieri, who's a really hyped up pale end product of Arsenal's Academy. Um, I hope to see him, but I have a, a feeling that Arteta's going to go strong. Uh, yep, no Salah, no Endo. So Bozlai is going to miss out with a hammy, and then Kelleher will be in net, and people will be exposed to the fact that he's not a very good goalkeeper. Uh, in comparison to Allison, it's like night and day. Um, Particularly with the Carabao Cup semifinal, also midweek on on Wednesday, I think it is. I expect, like you said, to see a very rotated Liverpool side. But who knows? Klopp might surprise and, and start with a, a really strong team and then make a lot of changes at halftime. Yeah, I mean, if they can get off to a hot start, why not? Um, definitely something that you'd want to risk more injury, especially in a, in a cup match, especially if it was the Carabao Cup. But we will we will find out. And, and that is this this weekend. So I'll be watching that, and if anyone wants to join, for whatever I know, Kyle, you'll you'll be in the area. I know I we're going to tailgate the, the the Giants game, but it looks like it's going to piss rain, so we might have to have an offline conversation. You guys aren't going that. to the Giants game, are you? God. No, it would be I, throwing I, I, money I, away. I think they actually have to pay you to go to the game. Yeah, I think it's like twenty eight dollars. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, but you know, as as an unbiased fan on this game, <laughs> there is no lock of the week this week. So do you guys want to give some score predictions? On, on the big game for this weekend. game or yeah exactly right I think Arsenal wins three to two I think that's a comeback game for them at home going against a weak side I think a strong Liverpool I think if they played Liverpool of this weekend at a neutral site Liverpool smacks the shit out of Arsenal right now but with their injuries with you know players not going to be there and at Arsenal I think three to two Arsenal yeah that's a, that's a tough one John you want to go with your prediction I'll never pick against my boys so I'm going to take us to win um, I'll go two one just because Arsenal has been relatively low scoring of late. But yeah, I mean, it really is hard to say without knowing what, having any idea what the team sheet could be like. You know, it could be Van Dyke and Kanate. It could be yeah. Jarrell Kwanzaa and some small scouse child that they picked up on the train. <laughs> so you never know. I, I I agree with you. I it's, it's a tough one to call. I won't go against the boys. I'll say it's 2-1 in Arsenal's favor. I do like the three goals in the game, though. But both teams are not known to to allow a lot of goals. Arsenal hasn't been scoring a lot of goals, so I don't see them scoring more than two against the Liverpool side unless they start the Scouse children in the back. And then, obviously, Arsenal's defense have been one of the best in the league, obviously not as late. Um, I What I would really like to see is two things. If Arsenal plays another fucking corner kick to the near post, <laughs> I'm going to go and stab every single one of the players. And then two, if we let in a corner kick goal or set piece goal for the third game in a row, I will stab everyone a second time. So try not to do both of those things in one game because I'll I'll be really upset. Are but we gonna be uh, is... are we gonna be betting on a Nunez goal or a Nunez miss of an open net? Yes. Well, you'll probably get both. both yeah. You'll exactly. probably get both. Yeah. Definitely both. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, gentlemen, since there's no lock of the week, we're going to end with a don't forget to log in to us next week. We are planning on doing two. One, I'm very excited to introduce one of my new dear friends from Miami who I met through a coworker, and I'm just so friendly. Like I'm gaining all these friends late in life. It is, it is going to be the Logan Wolf. He is going to be on as our guest star for Aston Villa spotlight, which is really exciting. We've had the most guests we have had in a full calendar year so far of multiple different teams. So we'll be highlighting Aston Villa. You'll definitely want to check that one out. And then later on in next week, we'll be doing our halfway hopes and horrors. So we'll see if you guys are happy with where your team is at, or you're not as happy as you should be. But until then, everyone here, thanks you. And we look forward to being with you again next week.